First they're coming and they're going in and out of the party They're dubbing and they're rubbing and they're rocking to the rhythm They're dancing and they're skanking and they're partying They're swinging and they're crashing and they're bang and the flames start to drunk The heat and the smoke and the people start to choke They're screaming and they're crying and they're dying and they're dying March the 2nd will mark 40 years since the Black People's Day of Action, the historically significant day in 1981 saw over 20,000 people march across London seeking justice for the victims of the New Cross fire, which had broken out six weeks prior. The tragic fire had resulted in the death of 13 black teenagers on the night and a further death months later. Despite many signs and witness accounts indicating that the fire was racially motivated, the police failed to bring any charges. In the weeks and months following the fire, the black community came together to demand justice for the victims of the fire. The New Cross Massacre Action Committee, an assembly of activists, mobilized and formed a unified response to the racial injustice evident in the subsequent police investigation and media reporting. The Black People's Day of Action was a clear expression of the black community's grievances and a protest against racial injustice in Britain. In this special podcast, members of the Race Today Collective reunite to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the march and discuss the political strategy they used when organizing the national demonstration. We'll be speaking to Leela Hassan Howe, Jean Ambrose, Michael Cadet, Farouk Dondi, Patricia Dick, Claudius Hilliman, and Linton Kwesi Johnson. All right, so thank you everybody for coming together. I think it's really important that we uh, commemorate this, this, this date and it's such a significant date. So I'm gonna kick off really by saying I think a lot of people who want to know what happened, like when the fire started, um, what is it, wh what did people know about the fire? How did, you, how did you even hear about the fire itself? The way I heard about the fire, I think, was a phone call. I think first a phone call to the house in Mel Road where Darkus and I lived, and then we went to the offices and phone calls came into Race Today offices. But well, we had already a pre-arranged meeting with the Black Parents, Black Youth Movement, because Race Today was part of an alliance with those two organizations. And there was a pre-arranged meeting on that Sunday that we went to. And it's from that meeting that Darkus, John and Roxy then go over to the area to find out exactly what had happened. But we began to get phone calls which were telling us that there'd been this horrific house fire in which people had died and that it was a West Indian house. It was West Indian children. And so um, the information just began to build up during the day. And then finally, when we were in the Black Parents Movement, John and people in that meeting had more information. And so the decision was made that a delegation from that meeting should go down to the area. I was really going to say what Leela said. As I said, I heard it from the radio first thing in the morning about Radio 4. And I just knew it would have been a black party. It said there was a fire at this house that had a party. And the first phone call I remember making was to Leela. On the um, morning of Sunday, the 18th of January, at about 6 a.m. in the early hours of the morning, my partner Gordon came home and said he'd just driven past a house fire in New Cross. He was working in Deptford, which was just a few minutes' drive to New Cross as a minicab driver. And throughout the night, he, he remembered hearing all these notices coming in into the cab office about this fire ambulance and telling the drivers to avoid the area. 
So when he came home, he told me this, and um, I said to him, okay, well, I'll go up there um, when I get up. But I left the house in Peckham, where I lived, and I got on the bus to travel up to Newcross, which is about 10 stops. And I remember as I got on my bus, a few people got on that I knew from the local area. And as the bus journeyed up towards Newcross, I noticed some more people getting on at different bus stops, more black youth and that getting on at different bus stops. And of course, by the time we got to New Cross, um, people were talking about the fire on the bus. By the time we got to New Cross, everybody had gotten off. So I knew then that everybody was making their move to go towards where New Cross, and we were basically heading to the moonshot because we must have heard it was in that area. I'm just thinking about how. I was in a meeting. I'd gone up to North London, um, and it was a black um, parents uh, meeting, and there was a number of us around. And then there was a discussion about what had happened. And I don't know if a telephone call had been received, but out of that meeting, then I remembered that definitely John LaRose and Darkus, they left that meeting and then went off to go and meet with the parents. And uh, when you say uh, the Black Parents Movement, can you, say, can you just give us a little, like a brief background, what was the Black Parents Movement? The Black Parents Movement um, was an organization formed by um, parents concerned about the way the police were treating their children, relationship between the police and black youth, and the way the educational system was failing our youth, and it involved, some people were involved in the black education movement from an earlier period. And John LaRose, Albertina Sylvester uh, were, were two of the founders. You hear about the event, there's clearly mobilizations. How does the, what happens next? How do you bring everybody together? How does the collective around this start to form? Jean outlines that already there's a community feeling down in the area and following on from John going down to the area in Darkus and meeting the Civil Phoenix and meeting with Amza Raddock because by then Amza Raddock of course is homeless and Sybil, and she's living with Civil Phoenix. Civil Phoenix gives her home and they went to the area and the West Indian Standing Conference and some other organisations had already said that there should be a public meeting on the Sunday but um, the decision was made to have a kind of planning meeting on the Tuesday. And so we went down on Tuesday, and I remember the discussion in the Alliance with John and Darkus and other people uh, saying we would call this kind of meeting before the big public meeting, believing that maybe 30 or 40 people would turn up, and over 300 people attended that meeting. And that really began to give us the sense that this was a moment, that this was different from other other incidences. There'd been other racist attacks, which we know the history of. There'd been other campaigns, but this one was going to be different. And it's that meeting of, of 300 people that forms the New Cross Massacre Action Committee. But Farouk has an anecdote I know about the atmosphere in that meeting, and I know Linton was definitely in that meeting, because the meeting was very tense, it was very volatile, and feelings were very, very high with anger and outrage at what had happened. I lived in Lewisham at the time, not terribly far away from where the fire took place. 
I first heard about it because somebody from race today, I think it was Barbara Bees, who called me and said that this has happened. 13 young people have been killed in a, in a fire. And of course, I had experienced uh, eight years previous to that, somebody bombing my own, my own house in, when I lived in Railton Road in Brixton. And I immediately thought this is a racial assault. So then I waited and said, what are we doing? I called race today. And they said there is going to be this meeting that Leela talked about. And my partner, Margaret Peacock, she said, I must go to the one meeting. We went to this first meeting that Leela was talking about. And she says there were 300 people, but it really seemed like there were 2,000 people. And we sat there in the audience, and the feeling was so high there. It was all black people, and they were very angry, and everybody knew or felt they knew what had happened. And seeing Margaret Peacock, white, they thought um, she shouldn't be here. So some of them came in an extremely aggressive way to attack us for just being there. And Linton Johnson, it was, who came from the front, saw this was happening, warded them off, told them not to touch us, and so forth, and, and told us, uh, said Farouk, Margaret, clear off. It was um, a very volatile atmosphere. The whole spectrum of black ideological tendencies were there. I mean, there were people there from Marxist, Leninist, to black separatists, Pan-Africanists, and, you know, people of Black Liberation Front, all these extreme organizations. It took someone like John LaRose, an experienced political activist from the Caribbean who's been involved in the trade union movement and the anti-colonial movement to bring some authority bear on it because people were talking foolishness like fire for fire and blood for blood and all this kind of stuff and um white people shouldn't be involved not even asian people shouldn't be involved in this this is black people thing all kinds of nonsense at the end of the day at those meetings i think there was more than one um john larose i remember called them assemblies of the people i think common sense prevailed in the end hundreds of people turned up the suggestions, I remember guns being suggested, I remember all sorts of crazy things being suggested at that first meeting. But essentially, the strategy that we had in Race Today was to discuss what would happen and to remember what we said, that the parents' views and opinions need to be taken on board, but we felt that there was a far more community, radical organization that we could bring together. How did you then start to bring that together? What, what happened next? So is this people in meeting, want to do something, what's the next, what's the next step? I think the New Cross Massacre Action Committee did a number of things. John LaRose and Darkus Howe worked very closely together and offered some leadership. Uh, I think the first thing, apart from getting lawyers to represent the parents and so on, <laughs> Uh, good lawyers, um, was to advise the parents to form their own parents group. And the second thing they did was to um, establish, to set up, this came out of the, the public meetings, to set up a fact-finding committee. 
because it became clear to us that within 48 hours of the fire, without having carried out any for forensic investigation, and in spite of the fact that it was the police themselves who had informed Mrs. Ruddock that it was an arson attack, the police ruled out completely the possibility that it could have been a racially motivated arson attack. So the fact-finding committee, we felt that, that that was very, very important so that those who were there and eyewitnesses could give a, a proper account of what took place. Always within Race Today and the Black Youth Movement and the Black Parents Movement, we always met separately to discuss the strategy in these public meetings. So as Linton says, it was a people's assembly, a very democratic structure where anybody and everybody was encouraged to speak and put forward their point of view. And after those meetings, the Action Committee itself, which consisted, I think, of BUFP, uh, Darkest John Race Today, I was on, on it for some of the part, um, we would, a smaller group would then go away and refine what the decisions had been and make sure that at the next meeting they were discussed and, and taken forward again. And as Linton says, some of the ideas and some of the views put forward were quite extreme. You know, the, the decision that Asians shouldn't be on the march when Mrs. Ruddock herself was an Asian, um, all of that. So we would combat th those ideas and we would discuss the, the views of the assembly. I also attended some of the parents' meetings. And what you have to understand now is that at this time, as we're going on, social workers, local councillors, particularly the police, all of them are trying to have an in into the parents to try and, I think, sway them away from the, from the militant action that they knew was being proposed in these assembly meetings. So you now have everybody kind of honing in on the parents, police just knocking their doors, willy-nilly walking in and, and saying to Mr. and Mrs. Hall, can I have a discussion with you, uh, do, you know, about what's going on? So uh, John, John, as the chairman of the Action Committee and also the Parents Committee, was very active with Darkus and with others of us, talking through what was going on with the parents at every stage about what they were facing, because also they had to bury their children. Um, but there was an onslaught, I think, of people trying to get the ear of the parents uh, to try and come up with a solution that would be more of a compromise than really um, militant political action. One of the biggest culprits in the mischief-making, as I saw it at that time, making mischief amongst the parents were the community relations people. I won't call any names. And they, I think they, they identified a little tension between some of the parents and between them and the police, they tried to exploit those tensions. Well, how involved were the parents with the, uh, with the Day of Action itself? The parents were not involved with the Black People's Day of Action. And the parents, as I said, the parents' group was, were separate. In terms of the the New Cross Massacre Action Committee, it was black unit. It was BUF, were BUFP part of it. Um, Race Today, Black Parents Movement, Black Youth Movement. Was anyone? Was there any other organisations on the on the committee? I'm I'm sure there were, and this is where the memories. You know, um, mm -hmm. I've only remembered the Black Unity and Freedom input because Jean kindly got in touch with um, someone we call Bubbles, Ken Williams, who was. Um, a member of the New Cross Massacre Action Committee, and he's kindly sent us his memories of it all. So we know definitely BUFP were, were on it, but I think other organisations were on it as well. well. How do you turn that then into the, the campaign? And the campaign is national, it brings 
you know, 20,000 people, which is almost unprecedented at the time. Uh, how, do, how does the, how does that, how do we turn that into the, into the, into the actual day in March? We, in the leadership of the New Cross Massacre Action Committee, we had people like John LaRose and Darkus Howe who had a great deal of experience about how to organize and mobilize people. And so a strategy was worked out where we went all over the country. All of us got involved. We were, we were, we were all mobilizers, although it must be said that Darkus Howe was mobilizer in chief. Darkus has, has said that his mobilization tactics came from something he learned in the civil rights movement, from Fred Mealy and from those people who'd had this strategy of one in six, that if you tell one person, they will tell six others, and that you speak, to, although you speak to a large group, you concentrate on trying to have an impact on a small number who you know will actually take action. And he traveled all over the country to Linton went with him, I know, to the north. Gus was Gus John was with him in Manchester, Bradford and Leeds. But he went to Liverpool with Jimmy Rogers, who some people might remember. Um, he went to the Midlands. He travelled all over and he would call the offices um, of which I was in the office and he would give us an update every day. And the update would consist of which meeting or meetings, because some days he did more than one meeting in a day he'd attended, what the um, what the feeling was like, what the impact had been, uh, what what the viability was of people sending coaches down, because by now, as you can see, we're mobilising for a national day, so it involves organisation of coaches and who the key contacts would be. So he would give me the key contact and say, this is the person who's either going to organise the coaches or organise a delegation to the march. And we're doing that over a month and also at the same time, because we're now having so many requests to speak at all sorts of venues, we're being required to be speakers ourselves. At that point, I was a student over at Kingsway, and we had a black students' um, organization. I was um, asked to speak there, um, and we had a series of meetings to organize and to say, well, we're going to be going and coming down to the um, demonstration. But all the while, it was that inside of us today, we would be sitting down and talking about what had happened, what we needed to do, and how that was going to be. Um, achieved. You've got this huge mobilization going on all the time in every single kind of organization that you can think of. And some are, we are generating and asking to speak, but many of them by now are contacting us and saying we want a speaker, we want somebody to come up and help mobilize for us to join this demonstration. The mobilization took places, workplaces, places of work, church, youth clubs colleges, dances. Um, Sir Collins's son was one of the, 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 the youths who were killed in the fire. So the whole sound system community in London and further afield were, were mobilized for the day of action. Inside of Race Today, I was working with Jean because um, we, we had our um, uh, small studio then. So I had tasks with helping to pull together the leaflets, which we would produce, and then we had to then distribute. Yes, it was days of working, and um, some of the slogans were, were, come what may, we're here to stay. 13 dead, nothing said. 
Bloodhagar of Justice Nakam. It was a fire bomb, boom bomb, yeah. And we put all those slogans together. Yes, it was. It was um, a good time. I think it's important um, to note to say this that Race Today's offices was the center for the coordination of the Black People's Day of Action, and Leila Hassan played a, um, a, a key role um, in the man in the telephones and all that sort of thing uh, at Race Today, at Race Today, um, which was the center of operations, and she was there as the coordinator there in the office. Uh, yeah, Leela, would you talk about that a bit, about that, that process of... Kind well, of so, um, as Linton said, the New Cross Massacre Action Committee headquarters were the offices of race today. And um, I just want to say, in terms of, of the ideas for the mobilisation, so as Michael said, we're discussing in race today's tactics and strategy, and we're also discussing in the alliance with the Black Youth Movement, with John and with the parents all the time. So this is an ongoing political discussion... <coughs> What, what's being said, what's being discussed, and you know what what the positions are, and how we can best kind of intervene and in, and ensure that the radical path in which we really want the day to go is maintained. Why March the second? Because the fire happens in January. So why why is March the second picked for the for the day, and why the why the day, and why March through the day as well? We couldn't have it on a Friday because that was payday. We weren't to have it on a Thursday because sometimes people get benefit then. I seem to remember that um, we thought Monday was the best day to disrupt everything because people would be going back to work. And Saturday was usually the day people had demonstrations. But a Monday would cause maximum disruption. It was to be like a, like a strike. It's a, a striking of black workers as well, because that's why it's a weekday. So it's a day you, you made the choice not to go to work, but to come and demonstrate uh, your, your feelings and grievance about what had taken place. The way to disrupt was to go into the heart of the city, to go into the heart of London, and to really make our presence felt in that way as well. Clearly something which got people's emotions, a lot of anger, it's, it's, it draws people out in the street. And, you know, one of the slogans that you remember from that time is 13 dead, nothing said. Um, you just someone to tell, tell me, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? 13 dead, nothing said. 13 dead, nothing said. You have to see the New Cross Massacre um, in the context of where black people were in 1981. Uh, I think 13 dead, nothing said, refer to the fact that black people were still on the margins of British society, that we were marginalized, that we were still being treated as third-class colonials, that even though you know we wanted to become a part of British society, that these barriers were there to prevent us from integrating into British society. I say integrate as opposed to assimilate, which is something different. I just want to say one thing we shouldn't overlook is by now the police counterattack is really heightening. And on the eve of the march, they come up with a press conference, and I think one of the newspapers picked it up, that arrests were imminent, that they were going to be arresting people for this. But also before that, the fact-finding commission and the action committee received information via the parents that 
Some of the young people who'd attended the party were being detained by the police. They were very careful to say that they weren't being arrested, but they were being detained by the police, kept in the station for hours, and being persuaded to say that a fight had taken place in the party. This all collapsed at the inquest, but at that time, the fact-finding commission committee having got this information, I mean, I'm one of the people who went... To, to meet with one of the youth, I can't remember who it was, to take a counter-statement and also to get our lawyers. We had a radical team of lawyers, Ian, Mike, Ian McDonald, Mike Mansfield, Gareth Pierce, to get them down there to make get statements from the youth as to just what the police had tried to do in order to undermine the mobilisation for the day and the, and the strong feeling in the community. The, the head of the state, the, the queen, the prime minister, there were no messages of condolences from them. It was as though black lives didn't matter. <laughs>